I didn't quite frankly know how to run a company. I'm not a really good manager. I'm not the best player for that play. I'm too impatient. And, you know, so I said, okay, I need to find somebody to help who can take the reins and particularly with a sales and marketing background, because that seemed to be what we needed at the time. So bottom line, I hired the wrong guy. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive these five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all ASTOTS Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from ASTOTS Academy, and I'm here with featured guest David Allen. David, are you ready to rock? <laughs> Why not, Andrew? Sure. <laughs> Well, I want to introduce you to the audience and let me tell them one of the world's most influential thinkers on productivity, David's 35 years experience as a management consultant and executive coach have earned him worldwide recognition. His best-selling book, The Groundbreaking Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity, has sold millions and has been published in 30 languages and the GTD methodology it describes has become a global phenomenon, being taught by training companies in more than 90 countries. David has, his company and his partners are dedicated to teaching people how to stay relaxed and productive in our fast-paced world. David, take a minute and fill a further tidbits about your life. <laughs> 35 jobs by the time I was 35, didn't know what the heck I was going to do when I grew up, just needed to pay the rent and uh, wound up bouncing around and ultimately discovered I was pretty good at being a number two guy. So I helped a lot of friends with their businesses. I just go in and look around and say, how much easier can we make this? Now they call that process improvement. I was lazy. <laughs> how much earlier can we get out of here? You know, mm. what, what we're doing. So then I discovered they actually pay people, I, you know, I'd fix it and they get bored and then go find another job. Then I discovered they pay people to do that. They call them something consultant, you know, when couldn't spell it. Now I are one. So 1982, hung out my shingle, Allen Associates. And I started to just say, okay, can I sell myself on a project-by-project project basis? And also, I like being clear. I like being not distracted. I like being free of stuff. So I found a lot of techniques that work for me, turned around and uh, used those with my clients to help them get more control, relaxation, focus, et cetera. And it all worked. I'm like, wow, well, that's cool. So that kind of became the core of a lot of what I was consulting and and you know, working with people then, and then somebody, some big, you know, corporate head of HR, you know, in a big corporation saw what I was doing and said, gee, David, we need that on a whole company. Can you design some training around that? So you can reach a lot of people with this stuff instead of one-on-one. -on -one. So I did, and it worked. And that <laughs> was highly successful, Lockheed, 1983, 84. And that sort of threw me into the corporate training world. Who'd have thought, you know, <laughs> I was like, what? You know, that was, uh, and I'm not particularly, you know, Andrew, I'm not particularly entrepreneurial or even aspirational in that regard. I'm really more an educator than anything else than a researcher. Mm. What, what is it that allows us to stay clear and focused 
in the world. And then just turned out that what I uncovered hit a nerve out there. And you know, it took me 20 years to figure out what I'd figured out and that it was bulletproof and nobody else seemed to have done it. And that's when I wrote the book, Getting Things Done. So there's a short version of a very yeah. long story. I'm kind of curious because, you know, I, I was just rereading the book and, you know, your latest edition, which I believe was 2015. And, you know, this is no small feat. You know, though your methodology is simple and all that, you've definitely put in a lot of time into it. As I read that, I really feel that. And my, my question to you is like, you know, like when was the time when it all kind of came together? Like this is, because I see you, to, when I look at you from the book and what I've learned, it's really kind of unifying, like nothing left behind. Everything is in there. And that, that's not an easy feat. There's a lot of times that, you know, you can't connect this one with that one or just kind of curious about that time when it started to really all come together. Yeah, don't know. I, I didn't wake up one morning with all this, you know, to me, it was a long number of years of string of epiphanets. Oh, there's a thing. Oh, that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing. And then at some point it began to merge or unfold as an intact methodology. Mm. But I can't tell you exactly when that was, you know, it, it was a developmental process. And a lot of it had to do with this thousands of hours I spent one-on-one -on -one desk side with some of the best and brightest people you'd ever meet, you know, working this methodology with them because we do training in their company. And then the senior people would want me to come sit desk side with them and, and help them implement what this was. And so, uh, so you were so, like going back home and thinking, okay, I need to modify this a little bit and make this that that wasn't so clear. No, no it was, it, it was really more, every time I did it, I learned something. Mm. I still do. If, yeah. if I'm still coaching anybody, I still learn something. Wow, that's a whole different way to think about that, that I hadn't said that that way before. So it was really a long developmental process, really, for myself. Right. At some point, I said, okay, I guess I know enough about it and trusted enough to write the manual. And that's when I wrote the book. And one last thing from my side is just that I recently went through all the books I could find on time management and goal setting and all that stuff. And you know, there's a long lineage of this topic. And it, when I get to your book in that kind of fun lecture that I do, it kind of, it's, it's interesting that nobody before you kind of connected into this unifying theory. You know, some people were interested in the way you set a goal and some people were interested in the way you complete your tasks and others were interested in the way you set a vision of what you want. But I'm just curious, why do you think that some of these very brilliant people didn't put it all together like you did? Beats me. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. It was as much a surprise to me as anybody else. You yeah. know, they, as I said, I, I thought that a lot more sophisticated people making a lot more money than I'd ever make in my lifetime would have already figured this out. It turned <laughs> out just the opposite. It turns out that those people were the most interested in what I'd uncovered. It's the most productive people that are most interested in what I do, <laughs> which is mm. fascinating, you know, because they, they already know the value of system. They already know the value of organization. They already know the value of focus. They are, that's how they got to where they are. Yep. The problem is they're up to here mm. and they, their own systematic processes haven't kept up with their own aspirations and visions. And so they've overrun themselves. And so right. they just, they know if they had more room, they could create more cool stuff. Yep. And so, uh, you know, what I developed was something that gave more room. Yep. So well, could have fooled me. <laughs> yeah. Well, for the listeners out there, I highly recommend you get the book if you haven't gotten the book. 
and you learn about it. I know that there's also a workbook. I think I saw, I was looking at the bookstore yeah. and I was kind of debating whether to get the workbook or the book and I decided to go back well, to the book. Well, Andrew, come on. The book itself is a little daunting. It, it is 25 years of my career that I've just packaged into a manual in case I got run over by a bus. That's at some point, mm. you know, somebody might figure this out. But in case I get run over by the bus, at least somebody could pick up the book and learn what I'd learned in my 25 or 30 years, you know, of doing this kind of work. And, um, you know, so that's kind of why I wrote it. I, and I had high anticipation, but no expectation. I had no idea whether the book would be successful. No, I, even back then, it was quite a noisy space out there, time management and personal organization and all that stuff. You know, yeah. in the 2001, when the first edition came out, and I had no idea that it would yeah. hit a nerve. And it turns out it did. It did. <laughs> so, it did. Yeah. So last thing on that is just that for the listeners out there that haven't had the book and they may not be able to go get it right away and you know they're sitting in a at their home in bangladesh or in australia or in the u.s or in what would be like kind of the one thing one or two things that you would give them advice that you know do this think this way you know from your own experience yeah. what would you say is the kind of the, the sure. one or two things that would be valuable yeah. for them Stop using your head as your office. It's a crappy office. Your brain did not evolve to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationships between more than four things. Otherwise, you'll suboptimize your ability to take a test or think. That's now new cognitive science data that's been proven in the last 10 years. I discovered that on the street 35 years ago. So basically, stop using your head. Get everything out of your head. And then on some regular basis, do some sort of reflection or review of the whole gestalt of all your commitments. Mm. It's you know, simple. it's like simple. It's a kind of a big duh, but boy, you know, people just don't have the time and don't take the time to do what I just said. They think I don't, I can keep it in my head. That works. And they think I don't need to review all my stuff. I'm too busy. There it is. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. I was writing my third book, Making It All Work, Winning at the Game of Work and the Business of Life. And if anybody's ever written a book, believe me, <laughs> it's funny. I could become an alcoholic writing a book about stress-free productivity, just trying to put it all together. Anyway, so I was trying to write a book at the time and, you know, our work, I'd never done any marketing or sales. So all we did was pick up the phone. It was all referral-based stuff. I, I had no idea what marketing meant or you know, whatever. And by that time, you know, I had a group of almost 50 people just because of trying to keep up with client demand in terms of training and coaching that we were doing. And, uh, you know, I said, I'm, I'm up to here. I need some help. And I didn't quite frankly know how to run a company. I'm not a really good manager. I'm not the best player for that play. I'm too impatient. And, you know, so I said, okay, I need to find somebody to help who can take the reins and particularly with a sales and marketing background, because that seemed to be what we needed at the time. So bottom line, I hired the wrong guy. So it looked good. I was pressed up against the wall. He had a great resume. He was close by, seemed to be kind of right guy to do it and had to make a quick decision because he had another offer, you know, for him to come in. And he said, David, come on, you got to decide quick, you know, whatever, or I'm going to take the other offer. And so I decided quick. And I did not do enough sufficient due diligence to find out whether 
think I was really the right guy or not. And that took three years and was very expensive and hard to deal with mm. in terms of it, it just didn't match the DNA of our culture. And I didn't know that. And I didn't take the time to figure that out. I wasn't sophisticated enough to know that. And also, it was more like giving up the job instead of trying to learn how to do this myself. Let me go find somebody who seems to already know how to do it. And so I sort of gave up my own accountability to, to figure it out. You know, mm. how do you how do you run a company? How do you manage all that? So kind of a short version of a long story. But and that was it. When was it that you kind of came to the realization that, OK, this really isn't going to work? He was making side deals under the table with salespeople and other things like that. There was a lack of transparency right. and a lack of, you know, there was a he was just, you know, working his shtick. And that shtick did not match with the DNA of our culture. It wasn't yeah. how we operated. And so to start to recognize that and then recognize, hmm, you know, just didn't work. So, yeah. yeah so how would, how would you describe the lessons that you learned from that? Don't be pressured to make decisions because of a time pressure. You know, it's funny because sometimes you have to. You've got a time pressure. You've got a, you've got a thing to do. You have to make that decision. Now, you know, I'm involved in, you know, for 10 years, I've, we've been doing something called holacracy and we're sort of running our company as a self-organizing organization. And one of the principles is basically avoid decisions to the last responsible moment, which is a pregnant statement. Avoid decisions to the last responsible moment. <laughs> so don't jump the gun. And, you know, those, those are, those are the biggest mistakes that I've made is jumping the gun simply because I felt I was pressured to have to make those decisions when in truth I wasn't. And I was just avoiding, you know, stepping up to the plate and, and, you know, growing up myself in terms of what I need to learn, you know, right. to, to manage things. And for the people that don't know what a holacracy is, can you just describe besides, obviously that statement is one about decisions, but what's the objective of that? It's basically, how do you create an organizational mind like water? How do you create an organization that recognizes tensions as soon as they show up, wherever they show up, and get them resolved as quickly as possible, as low a level as possible? Mm. So, that, you know, there's a number of a number of sort of self-organizing models that have shown up in the last five or 10 years, you know, and it's probably one of the most popular. And, uh, you know, it's really about how do you do, we don't have titles, we just have accountabilities and roles. You know, and mm. those roles are very clear in terms of who's accountable for what. And, you know, something shows up out there. There's a fast and easy and quick way to to engage with it and not let it lie fallow and then ultimately stink, you know, and take up more room than it should. <laughs> Never mind the dead body in the back of the office over there. <laughs> <laughs> and just curious, like for the listeners out there that are curious and they're looking for different ideas, what type of organization or type of business does this suit or type of personality does this kind of you know, method suit, do you think? Only somebody who owns the business and runs the business is willing to give it up and let the business run itself. Mm. So if you still have ego invested in I'm the boss and, you know, and I make the final decisions and no matter what, as opposed to let the people who really need to make the decisions and are going to make it work, do it. So that's a rare, that's a rare breed, you mm. know, to find. So it's not for everybody. Yeah. For anybody, but it's not for everybody because there are not a lot of 
business owners or boards or stockholders or whatever that are willing to give up their control to let the people who are running the organization and really making the organization work, let them run it and make the decisions about it. How do you spell that? H-O-L-O-C-R-A-C-Y. Okay, I'm just looking while we're, while we're talking. Hold on one second. Yeah, Brian, I, Robertson, I, Brian Robertson wrote the book. You know, I wrote the foreword to it. So if you can, mm. if you look that up, you'll see Holacracy One was the company that. Got it. That, We're going to put that in the know. show notes. I want to um, look at it myself. So maybe I'll just share a couple of things that I take away. You know, I think the first thing that you talked about is the pressure. And, you know, one thing you learn when you're, when you're in sales is the, you put pressure on people to say, hey, time's running out. Hey, there's only so much left. Oh, going to increase the price next month. And all of those tactics are sometimes real and sometimes just tactics. And I think it, you know, your story reminds me that whenever you feel pressure, it's okay to step back. And you know, there's another train coming, there's another opportunity coming. I think that's you know, the first thing that I think of. The second thing from your story that I get is that I know that feeling of just being desperate in some ways. I'm, I'm overloaded, I need someone to take care of this. It's really, you know, I can vision how my life's gonna be better when that person takes care of it. And when I'm so, I see that this is such a solution for me, it's so easy to, to not do the due diligence or to skip the steps because I'm just so hungry for that outcome. And I think those are the two things that I, I really take away from it. Is there anything you would add to that? No, <laughs> take a breath, <laughs> relax, you know, yeah. uh, to your point, opportunities are infinite and don't think you know that 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 train may be leaving but there might be a better train coming and i don't know how you teach yourself to trust that mm. I, I i don't have an answer for that andrew yeah. you know come on i think you know my wife who's been one of my best coaches forever you know i just said look david you just made the decision too fast you know you don't you shouldn't yeah. have let yourself be pressured you know, by that. And there mm. were there were better things coming and there are other things that you needed to look at and, and take advantage of and, and whatever. But yeah. to your point, I was up to here. Yep. And yep. I said, you know, I need I need breathing space. And so it seemed like somebody to do it. And you know, it's hard to denigrate the rungs of the ladder that got you where you are. So I love my life. I love my lifestyle. I love what's happened here. So, you know, I have to you know, God bless you know, the guy that, you know, was my wrong call, but I learned a lot in the yeah. process. Yeah. You know, again, it was expensive, but a lesson well learned. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about the, the young people out there that are listening to this podcast that are under a lot of stress right now, and they see some opportunity they think is going to relieve that stress, and maybe it will, and maybe it won't. And I want to think about them when I ask you this question, based on what you learned from that story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Relax, take a breath, and make sure that you're building in some reflective process for yourself and your life. Mm -hmm. You know, whether that's the weekly review, which I teach in my methodology, or just some sort of a step back. And, you know, don't let yourself be, you know, it's like forest management instead of tree hugging. Basically, <laughs> you need to go up every once in a while and look around the forest to see which tree you need to hug next. 
the problem is if you're just a tree hugger and the fire lands in your tree, you know, you're dead, mm. you know, as opposed to, wait a minute, let me go up and see that smoke showing up over there. And therefore let me do X, Y, and Z. So some sort of reflection process, some sort of a, you know, you could call it strategy, you could call it whatever, but if nothing else, just go pour yourself a good glass of wine and step back and stop and think. I know thinking is one of the toughest things, you know, that people ever have to learn how to do. That makes me go back to the beginning of our whole conversation. Maybe that's part of the reason why people don't clear their mind is because if you clear your mind, now you got to think. <laughs> <laughs> and you well, have to, you actually have to think to clear your mind. So, mm. you know, it's, it, it works both ways. Yeah. You actually have to make decisions about the stuff that has your attention, which requires thinking. What is this thing? Should we adopt? Should we get divorced? Should I fix this tooth that hurts? You know, should we get a puppy, you mm. know, for the kids? You know, should I give the kids karate lessons? You know, all that stuff, you know, those things that bang around in our head that have people's attention, that is basically taking up all that cognitive real estate. There is a way to get rid of it, but you don't get rid of it by drinking or meditating. I know I do both, you know, but <laughs> you actually have, you actually have to sit down and think, what does that mean? What I'm going to do about that? Where do I park that? How do I build my personal external brain that I trust that can keep track of all this level, all these multiple levels of commitments I've got with myself in life and be able to step back and see that from a larger perspective. Yeah. Fantastic. I just said a mouthful, by the way. So that's yeah. a, <laughs> got a lot to think about. Speaking of thinking, well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Stay alive. <laughs> yeah. Learn Dutch, immigrate to the Netherlands. Mm. Big goals there. And, you know, I'm still doing, I mean, I'll be 76 this year, Andrew. So, you know, I'm still, but, you know, our mission is to create a world where people perceive problems as projects. So that's, you know, we ba barely made a dent in that. So anything I can do to help support the network of trainers and coaches and licensees we've got around the world now delivering this, this work. So I'm, I'm still doing that. Yep. So I still continue to do that. I have no big, okay, by the next year, we need to make X, Y, Z. Yep. By next year, let's stay alive, <laughs> stay well, you know, and, and just manage this thing as well as we can. And so that's just an ongoing sort of stylistic, not, not so much a goal, but just a stylistic yeah. standard you know, that I have about keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, Yeah. you know, and like you ask, so I do that. I do two, three podcasts a week mm, mm, and mm. still have, I've yeah. done about 3000 since 2001. Amazing. You know, so I, I can't stop Share. sort of talking about this or sharing it. So yeah, th that's, Fantastic. that's it. Yeah. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, David, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, my little, little, little academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, just relax, stay focused, and be healthy, be safe. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.